0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen concludes her conversation with Dr. Lark Eshelman about her work with attachment-based interventions in war-torn countries.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode. Today, I'm gonna be doing um, an interview with Dr. Lark Eshelman. And our topic is gonna be attachment-based interventions in war-torn countries. Lark has been on the podcast before. Lark and I have been friends and colleagues for many, many years, but I'm particularly excited right now in terms of some of the work that she is doing with children and families impacted by the war in Ukraine and I want to also tell you a little bit about her. So Lark Eshelman came to her career in child healing through her own childhood family experiences, parenting her own children, And through her work as a children's librarian, elementary school teacher, school psychologist, and then dramatically through her overseas volunteer work with children traumatized in the war in the Balkans after the Wars of Independence from 1991 to 1995. So the work that Lark is doing currently is not the first time that she has taken attachment based trauma informed work to different parts of the world. Lark is an author, a therapist, and an educator whose experience and expertise is working with children and teens who've experienced early emotional trauma, attachment difficulties, neglect, and abuse. In addition, she's a board-certified domestic violence expert by the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress, and is the creator of the STAT model, which stands for Synergistic Trauma and attachment therapy. I know that you are really gonna enjoy the wise words of my dear friend, Lark Eshelman. So please stay tuned. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I, as promised, am going to bring you part two of my conversation with Dr. Lark Eshelman who is talking with us about her experiences of bringing attachment-based interventions to war-torn countries. Um, We, last week, were able to talk about your work back in the 90s in Croatia. And now we wanna start talking about, like, in real time, folks. You are doing some of this work now in real time related to the war in Ukraine. So we want to hear about that. Yes,
2: it's a, it's a sort of a natural segue. The program that I developed, Karen, has been used in other parts of the world since 2000, but not in a sustained way. And I was not able to be there with it. So um, I'd love to take your listeners on a quick little journey of what happened a few months ago. Yes. Still, so, uh, I wrote a book on adoption, which I know you know, in
1: early two thousands. And um, everybody should what, get that book. By the way, we <laughs> want to make sure that you're aware. Thank Share you. the title quickly. Uh, just,
2: I would like you to interject that. It is becoming a family, promoting healthy attachments with your adopted child. Yes. Thank well, you for I that, Karen. Yes. Uh, so, in, about fifteen years ago, a woman from. Um, Romania wrote to me and said, we, my husband and I adopted recently and it is not going well. Uh, But then I had occasion to read your book and I would like to know if I can translate it into Romanian because we don't have anything like that here and we really need it. Adoption is large in Romania. It's a very important part of the social culture there. So um, I checked with the publisher and you know, did a little soft shoe about, <laughs> wouldn't it be great? And they said, oh, okay. Uh, so Anna, Anna Stafford.
1: That's just another example of how you, <laughs> somehow you shepherd these things into have becoming a reality.
2: Yes, mm. continue. Well, Anna and I stayed in touch over the years and, and her adoption, I mean, her daughter, who's now 15, is just gorgeous and wonderful and their family is fabulous. Uh, And they now have a little son who was adopted a few years ago, Josiah. But um, Anna and I stayed in touch. And when the war in Ukraine started, she said to me, gosh, you have a program for helping kids. We now have thousands of kids from Ukraine in Romania. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, the people here need help. Can you come and do that? Well, I mentioned it to just a few friends and all of a sudden there was a groundswell of people saying, we, we will help you. We'll get you over there. Can you do that? Anna connected me with someone who was on the ground doing the work in Transylvania, Karen. Wow. Not just in Bucharest, you know, the capital, but up in the in the central region of Romania in, in Transylvania and a um, little town called Mediash, which is a beautiful medieval town just gorgeous. The history there is phenomenal. Uh, and I I was um, brought over and worked with the children who were there. Now, this is what's unique about this particular situation is that those kids were in orphanages already in Romania. I'm sorry, in Ukraine. And Ukraine knew Early in the war, and I give them very much credit for this, that they had to get those kids out of Ukraine and to a safer place. So children have gone primarily to Poland, Romania, and then a few other countries. But there are thousands in um, Romania who have come directly from Ukraine orphanages. So the kids with whom I worked a few months ago were this is a double hit for them. So now they originally lost their families. They were living in orphanages. They may or may not have been ready to go back to family. Um, I was not privy to all of their private information or their histories, but some I knew were ready for adoption at the time. Now that's blown out of the water. Now they're brought to another country where they don't know the language, they don't know the customs. Even though the two countries are next to each other, they share a border in one area. But they're quite different. Um, One is a Romance language. um, One is a Cyrillic language. One is um, somewhat more tied to the Russian um, or Eastern European customs. One is a little more tied to the Western European customs. So there were a lot of changes for these kids. So the request was, can you give us techniques to help them? We are, and the word that kept coming up is hungry. We are hungry for wanting to know how to help these kids. Mm -hmm. It was lovely working with the children. They were ages five to 18. They were boys and girls. They were... Um, easily engageable and not there was one little boy who clearly was on the autistic spectrum but he um, was willing to try and the other kids were very kind to him um, but you know now here's they just had to change languages and now there's this woman with another language and another yes. translator and yes, it was kind of crazy for them they did a beautiful job of responding, not just to the pieces of the program that I was able to offer them, but also we did parts of trauma art narrative therapy, which I absolutely love. Linda Bills is the designer of that beautiful intervention. And, you know, some Western ideas like it's better to be outside playing balloon volleyball than inside on your cell phones uh, mm-hmm. any day, as long as the weather's okay. So we, we did a lot of things that were, that you could see the kids smiling. They were laughing. They were enjoying themselves. And at the third, I think it was the third day, the director of the school came up to me and said, what are you doing with these kids? Because we have not seen smiles since they've been here. Yes. We haven't seen them engage and it's translating to the classroom. They're doing better in school. They're engaging more. I invited everyone to come into any of the sessions that they wanted to. There was some resistance. Some said we don't do mental health. And I said, it's not really mental health. It's just health. You know, it's wellness. It's,
1: it's playing in an yes. active way. Thank it's you, Karen. Playing in an active way, yep. which, you know, that experience moves us into the right brain. It, yeah. it is a giant mindfulness experience because you're there, you're yes. present in this moment. And it also changes brain chemistry. It
2: does. And I was teaching at a professional development a school district yesterday. And when I suggested that and said, okay, we're going to play a game and I'm going to take fluid from your brain right now and put it under a microscope, and then we're going to take it out at the end and put it under a microscope. And you're going to see a difference. You have to trust me on this because I can't really take brain fluid. There's still so much skepticism about the critical importance of play. Mm-hmm. and I believe in structured play. Yes. More so for kids who have difficulties with boundaries and who have um, self regulation difficulties. I think structured play is definitely the way to go, at least in the beginning. But it's play. You're right. Yes. They needed it, they responded I, to it.
1: The other thing, if you don't mind me adding about structure, because I think sometimes structure gets a bad rap, structure brings safety. Thank and you. Predictability. Yep. Like when we get in a circle and say, okay, here's what we're doing. And it's Mm -hmm. like this, you know, and I'm thinking uh, of how we do row row your boat in a circle and it's this and then it's that. And we fall into this predictable rhythm together, much like the rhythm that groups and tribes of people who have had for thousands of years when they dance together and do Mm -hmm. other healing practices together. So I just think, you know, what you're describing is just so beautiful. And thank you for using the word predictable because that
2: is so critical for these kids. They didn't know what was coming next. And now they know that they can trust you that you will be predictable. That's so important for them. hmm mm-hmm. Tried to stress that there, that they needed a routine. Uh and and they the both the orphanage workers and um teachers were willing to hear that. The teachers more easily kept to a routine. That was more of their modus operandi anyway. But to say to them, Here's your routine now I would just be so grateful if you would interject 1 minute of a mindfulness activity in the middle of your morning and one physical activity of structured play in the afternoon you're only going to be using 4 minutes or 5 minutes of your instructional time but it could be really important and if you do it at the same time every day and the kids can look forward to it that's why you're seeing them smile now mhm because they know they can engage in um, predictable play that's safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. it was it was beautiful.
1: And so, how long? And th- this was just a few months ago. Like I said, mm-hmm. this is like, we're, we're now in real time here following Dr. Lark Ashelman in her adventures <laughs> across the world, trying to bring hope and healing. So, and it's gonna maybe continue uh, some work there. It's-
2: Anyone in your listening audience <laughs> who prays or sends positive energy? <laughs> yes, uh, since I've been home, I've been contacted by the World Health Organization and the International Office of migration in Romania, asking if I would come over and um, perhaps, if we're very fortunate, bring a few colleagues. Karen, I have my fingers crossed. I'm looking right at you as we're talking yeah. To um, to teach both my program and other techniques in a train the trainer program for mental health professionals. They're looking at uh, at least the proposal that i gave them that they are now um they're now putting together funding for would be um about 90 80 to 90 mental health professionals from ukraine which i found very interesting they're thinking which is very smart it didn't even occur to me that of course these mental health professionals are already in romania or poland or wherever they they are with the kids they're going to be going back to Ukraine, hopefully after the war. We want them to carry on the work. Yes. There. Love and that. And then they will include perhaps 20 mental health professionals from Romania so that they can continue the work with the kids who are then adopted in Romania or stay in that country for whatever reason. So it should be a fabulous opportunity as long as it is funded, which they seem to have confidence will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <clears throat> lots of crossed fingers. It's hard to yeah. type when your fingers are crossed, but I'm yeah.
1: <laughs> work. Yeah, fingers crossed. So you know, I'm sitting here thinking, like you know, many of our our listeners, you know, they're they're probably not going to be up and going across the world right now, but. I imagine there have to be things that you have learned, you know, going all the way back from your time in Croatia till now. What are some of those touchstone things that you feel like you've learned or gained from these experiences that really apply to anyone doing any helper, let's just say? whether they're here in the U S or, or wherever they are in the world, you know, we have lots of listeners in other parts of the world. I, I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. You would have equally the same number
2: or more than I, Karen. And so jump in wherever it's appropriate, but yes. So a long time ago, when I started this work in uh, mental health, after my years as a school principal, a school librarian, school psychologist, and then understanding that where my passion really was, was child development and how it went off course and how to help it come back on online, Um, the, the elements of what I believe and what I try to affect are that that behavior is language and we have to understand what children are telling us, but that when trust is lost, the most important thing is to reestablish trust with a trusted, trustworthy caregiver. And that the way to do that is through um type or attachment oriented activities. Yes. Predictable, loving, but structured. And I say, but there, because some people think if you try and structure uh, an interaction with a child, that it's not loving, it's more directive, but I believe that being, it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to give my kid, ai don't want my kid to have to get a shot because it's going to hurt. So I won't give them the shot. Well, sometimes structure is just needed. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned before, it's, it's, um, it's safety producing for kids safety evoking maybe for kids. They get the sense, okay, this person knows how to keep me safe. And I can have fun doing it. And I can learn doing it. And I can engage, but I'm safe. Almost uh, every training that I now offer has at its heart self-regulation within a trusting relationship hmm So, Karen, you and I both had a lot of fair play um, as, well, you were, you were in the mental health field before I was, but the idea that if we can do that with a parent, oh my gosh. Now we're, in a sense, saving two generations because parents are now feeling so much better about their parenting. hmm And their children, of course, are- healing from whatever the attachment disruption was. But I see them going hand in hand, working with parents or whoever that trusted caregiver is to help a child feel safe again, feel trust again, and using attachment activities to help them learn self-regulation, which I think is sorely missing with a lot of our kids these days. Mm hmm
1: Yeah, and I think um, one of the reasons, gosh, there's so many reasons, I just wanted to have you on the podcast, Lark. I just love for people to be exposed to you and your wisdom and your experience. And I also wanted this topic because I think with trauma-informed care and trauma this and trauma that, the idea of attachment is sometimes lost, and Mm -hmm. I, you know, you and I have spoken about this, that Mm -mm. this connection and this feeling of safety needs to be there for these other things to work. It's like that's counseling, therapy, whatever, 101 um, is to build a relationship and doing that through active play and through some of the things that you're describing where we, we um, go straight to the lower levels of the brain and right brain and not so much left brain um, is I think the scaffolding for some of these other trauma-informed approaches to be effective. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
2: So when we look at Stephen Porges' work, for example, I mean, that's that's elemental to what we do, but we didn't even know it or we didn't even understand it yes. when we started doing this work. We had no idea how much that was affecting our neurology at a very basic level, very basic level. So yeah, we, we're putting pieces together of why this works. But I think just the acceptance that it does work yes. to begin with is uh, really important and to say to people trust trust is elemental to healing it's Mm -hmm. very hard and even if it's trust myself I've heard people say you know how did how did you get over this horrible experience that you had well I had to trust my gut which which which,
1: what horrible horrible experience that you had
2: well that anyone could have had right okay
1: I didn't know if you were speaking something specific to to, well,
2: in a way, I guess, you know, Karen, in a way, I guess I did come to that understanding after I went through my own healing. And um, I kind of did it on my own as a young adult. I -hmm. had kids and I could see that my own attachment uh, experience. And this is not criticism to either of my parents. They did the very best they could. And they My mom especially had her own traumas that were pretty horrible and I don't know how she lived through it. So they tried the best they could. And unfortunately, it wasn't quite a good fit for me growing up. And so I had to figure out what that was. And then to go through my own healing, which I did to a great extent through music, Hmm. was to find, be hit between the eyes. But a piece of music that my husband gave me and said, wow, I, I, I don't know why, but I think you need to hear this. Well, I would listen to that day after day after day. And it was a, it was, um, a Gaelic nursery rhyme about a mother taking care of her child. And it was like, oh, my God, that's, that, that's it. That's what I missed. That's mm-hmm. the hole in my heart. Mm-hmm. That's what I can't give my kids or at least my oldest son um, until I let down the wall that I've used to guard my heart for so long Mm -hmm. it took a couple of months and it's not like I hadn't been thinking about it it's not like I hadn't had really good therapists in the past but it was now time to lance the boil and let it heal yeah yeah So I brought that to the work that I have done. And that's been uh, such a blessing for me. Luckily, my mom and I were able to um, share a good bit of this before she passed away a few years ago. Uh, But yeah, if you understand that, it makes it a lot easier than to look at attachment as part of the whole therapeutic process. Yes, yes,
1: absolutely. Oh, what an inspiring story of what you've done and what's continuing to unfold. And we are all cheering you on and excited. Um, What would you... There could be a listener that's like this program she's talking about, like, I know a project that we're working on in my service club, in my church, in my synagogue, in my whatever group, you know, is, is there a way we could implement that program? Is, is this something that is available for others to to implement or, or how would that work?
2: Good question. Um, (laughs) it's, it was designed as a community response program so that the, when we have that little 10 and 10 picture in our head, 10 kids and 10 adults who were paired with them, if we had 10 adults in the community who really wanted to work with kids, but they were under strict supervision of a mental health professional who understood trauma and who was available when anything went at least even a little bit off kilter. Okay. Um, the people who, with whom I have worked in the past have been adoptive parents who get it on a level that a lot of people don't. Uh, retired teachers who now are looking for a community um, experience in which they can work directly with kids and use their knowledge and understanding of children and their comfort of working with kids, because a lot of people are kind of afraid to work with kids, and I get it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, People who are able to be consistently there over the course of 10 weeks or so to help um, move through the program together as a group. So it's often been uh, community social service agencies who have reached out and said, okay, we need something to help us. And sometimes the partners are the kids' foster parents themselves. Okay. And they said, oh, 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 we need, we need a little help. We don't quite get this. Mm -hmm. So we go through the program together with um, pairs of foster kids and their parents or kids who are in the foster care system and their, and their foster parents. Okay. So there are different ways to implement it in a, in a community or with different groups of kids.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm always looking for ways to to work yeah. with, people. And so would, with people. I love working with people. Would people um, go to your website or contact you or is there, is there any? Yeah, I, it, Because it's so
2: specific, people would really need to contact me. It's not something that I put out there for sale or rent yes. or lease or, yes. you know, yes. but I would be happy to talk with people if they're interested in seeing if it would be a good fit for what they have in mind.
1: Yes. Yeah. And is it com? Is that right? It's
2: actually Dr. Lark at Gmail.
1: Dr. Oh,
2: I made your Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. That's the email. Yes. Um, yes, it's com.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Easy. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. so I, I just wanted to make sure that people you know, who, who, who would like to hear more or maybe ask some questions about this, you know, you're a very busy person, but, uh, if, Aren't if, we all, if any of them <laughs> wanted a way to reach out to you, um, for some more information. So there's your, there's your website, um, maybe share your, your email again. It's you- Dr. Lark at Gmail and that's spelled out D O
2: C T O R L A R K at gmail.com. Yes. All right. I can see that we're wrapping and I, I don't want to miss an opportunity, Karen, to say how much I have loved following the work that you're doing um, for over the last couple of years. I didn't understand podcasts when you first started this. I, I think I remember writing to you and saying, Karen, what, what is this and how do I get it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. It has exploded. And thank you for everything you're
1: doing. It's just fabulous. Aww. I've learned so much. Well, thank you. Um, I was so excited when Chaddock wanted to support an endeavor like this, and, mm-hmm. you know, we have a great team backing it. And it's it's our, it's something that we're putting out there into the world to, to help people and share information. And I'm so thrilled when someone like you with your level of knowledge and expertise is willing to give us an hour of your time. So again, thank you so, so much. This is my joy and my pleasure and always good to be with you, Karen. Okay. Well, bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.